With Hashem's assistance, we are learning Gittin Daf Mem Zayin, page forty-seven. We begin on the bottom of Mem Vav Mem Beis, page forty-six. B two lines from the bottom. How Gavra? There was a certain guy. The Zavan Nafshi Leludoi. He sold himself to cannibals. Also, like the Rabbi Ami, came in front of Rabbi Ami Amar Le, and he said to him, "Pirkon free me." Amar. So he responded, "Tanam." We learned in a Mishnah, "Hamoicher Atzmoi Vesbanov LaEvdikachavim." Someone who sells himself and his children to non-Jews, so we do not free him, that's what we said in the Mishnah, we don't redeem him, but we do indeed uh, redeem the children, so that they don't go off the path, meaning they're not going to be able to otherwise uh, do the commandments, so therefore we free them. And certainly over here, that these cannibals are going to kill this person, so therefore we should free him. That's what Rabbi Ami said, so the Rabbi said to him, Rabbi Ami, Hi, Yisrael Momorhu, this guy, he's a Jew who doesn't keep the commandments. The Kachazulay, the Kachal Nevelas, the Trefus, we saw him eating non-kosher food. Amr Lahu, Emilate Avanu, the Kachal. Who said he's considered a Mummer? It's considered that he's gone totally off the path. Maybe he's just eating it because he really likes that type of food. He was very hungry. Amr Vazimnin, the Ika Hatera, the Isura Kamevish, They said, wait. There were some times where he had a permitted thing and a forbidden thing in front of him, and nevertheless, in other words, he could have chosen to eat the permitted thing, nevertheless, he chose to eat the forbidden thing. So it's clear that he's somebody who's doing it l'hachis, he's doing it just to show the show the world, or show God. So, So he said, I'm sorry, buddy, you gotta go. I can't, they're not letting me, they're not allowing me to redeem you, and uh, you're gonna have to go back to your cannibal masters. The Gemara continues, Reish Lakish, Zavan says that this story happened actually before Reish Lakish became religious. So he sold himself to these cannibals, He took along with him some kind of sack with a heavy rock inside of it. Amar Gemiri, he said to himself like this, We know that when on the last day of a person's life, with these guys, right before they're about to cannibalize him and eat him, so they gave him whatever he wants, they let him do whatever whatever the person wants, so that his blood will have a good taste. Yom Abbasra, so it came the last day, so to speak, for Rish Lakish. So they said to him, what do you want? What do you want us to do? He said, I want you all to tie yourselves up and to sit down. And each one of you, I'm going to hit you over the head one and a half times, or, or with one bag and a half a bag. So basically the way I understand it is that they didn't realize that there was a rock inside of the bag. Or even if they did, they were okay with that, just like to let this guy, you know, this big guy, they're going to eat now to, to let him have whatever he wants even to knock them over the head with this bag of rocks in order that uh, he sh- his blood should have a good taste since his will was done. So that's what he did. So they did indeed, they, they tied themselves up. They tied themselves up and they sat down. And each one of them, when Reish Lagash would hit them over the head one time with this bag, he was almost completely killed. So the guy that Rishakosh was hitting, so he grimaced his teeth, almost laughing at him. Are you laughing at me because I didn't finish you off yet? I still have another half of a hit left that I have left for you. He killed them all. And he left, and he was able to come back to where he lived. 
Now, this is a digression here. Yosef Ka'achel Vishwasi. So he used to sit and he would eat and he would drink. Amr Lebrate, so his daughter said to him, Lebas Midi Lamazga Ale. Do you want to set aside some kind of money in order to buy, Rashi says, some kind of, uh, some kind of pillows and blankets? Do you want to save any money? Amr La Biti. He says to him, he says to his daughter, My daughter, crazy Kari, my stomach is my pillow. Ki Meaning he wasn't going to spend any extra money. Kinachnafshe, when he passed away, Shavak Kaba de Marika. So, right as he was passing away, so he was leaving over for an inheritance, so to speak, only a small amount of this spice called saffron. Koranafshe called upon himself, and they will leave to others their possessions. Meaning, what Rishlagish was saying was it's not kidai, it's not a good investment of one's time to give over his time and his efforts into creating and amassing all kinds of different things that you're going to end up leaving over to your children or to other people because who even says that the children are going to end up with this stuff? Rather, a person should completely dedicate himself to spiritual gains and spiritual acquisitions. My season would begin the Mishnah. Someone who sells his field to a non-Jew. So we're not, of course, allowed to sell a piece of land in Eretz Yisrael to a non-Jew. If someone did, in fact, do this for whatever reason, so every year a person has to bring the first fruits, normally if it's his piece of land, does it bring the first fruits to Jerusalem, to Yushalayim? And uh, so here what happens is if a person sells his field to the non-Jew, so he has to bring, he has to buy whatever price the non-Jew wants, he has to buy those first fruits, and he still has to bring them to Yushalayim, because of some kind of rectification of the world. We begin the Gemara. Amar Rabbi says, Even though a non-Jew, if he buys a piece of land in the land of Israel, he does not have the ability to take away the concept of Meiser, meaning as long as something is growing in Israel, so it's Mechuyev, it has a, an obligation to take off the tithes. So a non-Jew does not have the ability, even if he buys that piece of land, to take away the Kedusha, the holiness of the fruits of Israel. Shnei the verse says, aretz. Hashem says, God says, the land is mine. This teaches us that to Hashem is the holiness of the land, and no one can take it away, even a non-Jew. So despite the fact that a non-Jew cannot take away the holiness of the fruits that grow out of Eretz Yisrael, he does have the ability to create some kind of acquisition in the land of Israel in regards to the fact that if he wants to dig some kind of holes in the ground, some kind of caves, he has permission to do that. Shemar, as the verse says, the sky, the heavens belong to God, but he gave over the land to people. That's the sheet of Rabbah. says, Even though a non-Jew does in fact indeed have the ability to be mafkir, to take away the concept of tithes, meaning when a non-Jew buys a piece of land in Israel, so any fruits that he produces from that land are not going to have a chiyuv, an obligation to take off the tithes. Shenemar, the verse says, the gancha, the verse says, your produce, that's what has to be taken off some kind of ties, but not the produce of a non-Jew. So Rabbi Lazar holds the exact opposite. He holds that a non-Jew does not have the ability to make any kind of ditches, any kind of pits, any kind of caves. The verse says, To God is the land. What are they arguing about? Like we said, Rabbi Lazar holds that only your grains 
do you have to take off any kind of tithes from another the grains of a non-Jew? Umar Savar, so how does Rabbi explain this? He's going to say like this, When you actually go and you make the piles of the grains and you, and you smooth out the grains, that is the point where you're going to be high you're going to have the obligation to take off the tithes. So thus, you can even buy something which belongs to a non-Jew, and then you go and you smooth out the pile, and then it will have a chi of meiser. So even a non-Jew's also has a, an obligation to take off the tithes. Amar Rabba, Mino Aminola. Rabbi says, how do I know this? The Tanaim we learned in a Mishnah. If you have some kind of, there are certain things that are supposed to be left over in a field by a Jew. Those things are all things that you've forgotten in some way, whether it's in the corners or it's the stuff that fell down as you were, you were gathering those things. In any event, so if let's say a non-Jew, he left behind something. So a person has to go and he has to take off the tithes on those things. Unless the non-Jew specifically went and made them ownerless. Hey, what's the case? If it was a Jew's, it was a Jewish person stuff that he left over, like Tino Avikachavim, and then a non-Jew came along, and he went and he picked up those things. Elam Kain Hifker. Why does it have to be that the non-Jew went after it belonged to the Jew, and he was mafkirit, and he made it ownerless? What do we need the non-Jew to make it ownerless? Just because the non-Jew made it ownerless, that's why there's no chi of mice, there's no obligation to bring the tides. It's already standing already. It's already been made ownerless by the original owner, the Jew. And the lav must be the avikachavim. What's the case talking about? It's talking about a non-Jew. It belonged to him. And then a regular Jew went and collected them. There was no original Jew. There's only one non-Jew who owned it and one Jew. Taima the hefker. It's only because the non-Jew went and he made it ownerless. But if he had not gone and made it ownerless and it belonged to the non-Jew, then it would be indeed required and obligated in, to, in bringing tithes. Thus, this is a good proof to Rabbah, who says that a non-Jew does not have the ability to take off the Kedusha, the holiness of the ground of Israel. Stigmar says it's not a good proof. No, really, I'll tell you, we're talking about a regular Jew who originally owned it. And a non-Jew went and he collected those things. And this that you said, that it was already made ownerless by the Jew originally. So what do we need the non-Jew to make it ownerless again? We understand, we know that when a Jew is making it ownerless, he's making it ownerless because he's assuming that another Jew is going to come along and take it. But in regards to a non-Jew, the original Jew did not make it ownerless. Thus, when the non-Jew comes along and he takes something which belongs to the Jew, which originally belonged to the Jew and the Jew made it ownerless, it doesn't retain its status as being ownerless. And therefore, when the when the non-Jew comes and picks it up, it goes back to its state of being chayev and meiser, being obligated in in tithes because it originally belonged to the Jew and now it, it, it becomes clear retroactively that the Jew never meant to make it hefker, to make it ownerless since this non-Jew had picked it up. Thus, the only way that it can become ownerless is only if the Ovikacham, the, the non-Jew, goes in his mafgrit and then it won't be chayv and meiser. That will on, that's the only way to take off the obligation to take off the tithes. Tashima, we bring another proof. A Jew who buys a field from a non-Jew, and it was before the the produce that was in the field, there was stuff growing in that field already, went that the non-Jew had planted, and it had not yet come to a third of its height. Now, now it, it got to a third of its height, which is the amount that it, that is necessary for it to grow in order to be chayiv, to be obligated in the tithes. So now he went and he sold it back to the non-Jew after it already brought a third 
while it was under the possession of the Jew, Chayev is Meiser. So it is indeed obligated to take off the tie, Shekvar Neschayva, because it already had the obligation. Neschayva in, Loi Neschayva Loi. It's clear from here that it's only because, why is there an obligation? Because it grew that third in the hands of a, non, uh, in the hands of a Jew. But if it had grown that third in the hands of a non-Jew, it wouldn't have had that obligation. Umar says, What's the case talking about? Bisuria. We're talking about what actually happened in Syria. And like we mentioned, the place called Syria, so David HaMelech, King David was the one who went and he conquered that place. Did it have a halacha? Did it have all of the halachic ramifications of Israel? Not, not, in, not completely. And therefore in this regard, despite the fact that usually in the land of Israel, so a non-Jew does not have the ability to take away the holiness, to take away that obligation to take off the tithes. Nevertheless, in Syria, so a non-Jew does have the ability to do that. That's what we're answering and that's the case over there and that's why it's only if it grew a third in the hands of a Jew. Tashima, we bring another proof. If you have a Jew and a non-Jew who bought a certain field in partnership, we turn to Memzayin Mabez, page 47b. So you have both stuff that's clear, that doesn't require tithes, and stuff that does require tithes mixed together. Divi Rabbi, that's Rabbi Shita. The non-Jew, his stuff, whatever he takes from his portion, that stuff is completely not obligated in any kind of ties. And the Jew, the stuff that he takes, is indeed obligated in Miser. And the Machalukas Hirashi explains is that Rebbe holds ain't you can never say that the portion that he took is actually the portion that belongs to him, so to speak. And Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says, no, when the, the non-Jew takes his portion, that becomes the stuff that was not chayiv. Lemafreya becomes, it becomes clear retroactively that the stuff, this stuff that grew and that the non-Jew took was his, and therefore it's not obligated in, in any kind of meisers in, in the tithes. And the stuff that the Jew took indeed is obligated because it becomes clear that that which he took is his. So the Gemara says, So the only argument here has to do with whether or not we can say that there's clarification later on to what happened previously or not. Everyone agrees. Everyone agrees that a non-Jew indeed has the ability to take away the holiness of the land of Eretz Yisrael and to say that there is no obligation in tithes. So the Gemara says that we can say that this case also is talking about where we're in Syria because and it's not a complete doesn't have the complete status of Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel. This is that David Hamelach, King David, went and he conquered that place. It's not considered fully part of Israel. Amar of Chibar Avin, Chibar Avin says as follows, Tashma, I'll bring you a proof. Someone who sells his field to a non-Jew, like Kayach or maybe Bikurim. It's our Mishnah. The Mishnah says that if you sell your field to a non-Jew, so you have to go every single year, the first fruits, you have to buy them from the non-Jew that you sold the field to, and you have to go and bring them to Jerusalem. It doesn't matter how much he's ready to charge you, because we're going to create a rectification for the world. in. It's only because of rectification, meaning it's only midirabun from the rabbis, midoraisalo, but not from the Torah. And Rashi explains that if it would indeed be that it was true that it was not a tikkun, it was not from the rabbis, but rather it was something midoraisa, so what would that show? So Rashi explains like this. The only reason that from the Torah it would be possible that I would have to go, I sold, I sold my field, I'm a Jew, I sold my field to a non-Jew. And now this non-Jew, I have to come every year to go and take off the bikurim to make sure that the first fruits go to Israel. Why would that possibly be? Because when I actually sold it to him, so it doesn't actually transfer completely into his possession. Actually, all that happens is he gets the fruits. 
he gets the ability to have whatever the field produces. But the land itself, it would be considered as if the land still belongs to me, and therefore the first fruits, which is an obligation on the, the land, the owner of the land, therefore I, the one who originally sold it to him, would have to take those first fruits and make sure to get them. But that would be if it was from the Torah. And if it, that would be the case, so Rashi points out, so in regards to Meister, I don't have to be worried, despite the fact that the the non-Jew, this field is considered chayiv, it's obligated in the tithes. Nevertheless, I do not have an obligation to make sure that the non-Jew takes off tithes. He's not even mochayiv himself. He's not obligated himself. The only thing that we can talk about is the bikurim. Now, but if the bikurim, the first fruits, indeed would be by obligation from the Torah, that would show the land retains his status of holiness. And therefore, that's why I have to make sure to, to go and take this, the, the first fruits and bring them to Jerusalem. However, from the fact that we see that it's only a tikkun derabon, it's only from the rabbis, that shows that indeed the non-Jew, when he goes and he buys that piece of land, it no longer has any kind of obligation, it doesn't retain any of its kedusha, it doesn't retain any of its holiness. It's just the rabbi said that you shouldn't do this because we don't want you to go and be selling your land at all. So they wanted to create some kind of prevention. Amar Ravashi, Ravashi responds to this and says it's not a good proof because it could be that originally it was from the Torah. There were two different things that the rabbis enacted. Originally they indeed were bringing it from the Torah. Since they saw that people were going and they were selling it to Sarah because it's they because people saw that the holiness still remained on it, so they thought there was nothing wrong with selling it to a non-Jew. So so the rabbis made an enactment, a decree, that they said, don't bring the Bikurim. Meaning it's better that you don't sell it, don't sell the field at all, and you don't bring the Bikurim. Since they saw that there were certain people who had no choice, they had to sell their land because they couldn't find any buyers from the Jews and they had no money, they needed to, they needed to cash in on their land, they had no choice. What would happen? So they would leave the first fruits in the hands of the non-Jews and from the Torah they have to bring it. So that's why they made again another tikkun, another enactment that the, indeed you do have to bring it to, the, to Jerusalem. And therefore it's not a good proof that from the fact that the rabbis made a takana that it's not from the Torah, but rather the rabbis, according to Rav Ashi, made this takana in order to bring back the Torah law. Itmar, we have a memra. Somebody who sells his field just for the fruits, meaning I'm selling you not the land, I'm retaining ownership on the land, but I'm selling you the fruits alone. Rabbi Yechanan, Omar, Rabbi Yechanan says, There's a concept of, of the first fruits like we mentioned, and what happens is when you bring these first fruits, so you come into the base of English and to the temple, and there's a special verse that you have to say, and the verse ends, you talk about the land that God has given us, and it's only possible for you to say this if you actually own the land where these fruits grow. So now the question is, when you buy the fruits, is it considered that now at this time when you own the fruits, you also, in, in respect to this, you also own the land? That's the question. So Rabbi Yechanan says, indeed, you are. it's considered when you buy the fruits, it's considered that you do indeed own the land as well. And therefore, maybe Vikari, you indeed can say that verse when you bring the first fruits. Rish Lakish, Rish Lakish says, maybe you bring the first fruits, but you don't read that verse since it's not considered that you own that piece of land. Rabbi Yechanan Amar, maybe Vikari, then the Gemara explains this explicitly. Yechanan says, you do indeed say this verse, you bring the first fruits and you say the verse, Kenyan Paris, Kenyan Haguftami. When you own the fruits, it's like you own the actual land itself. Rish Lakish, Rish Lakish says, no. Maybe Vainakar you bring it but you don't read the verse. Can you When you when you own the fruits, when you have rights to the fruits of the produce, it's not considered that you have rights to the actual ground itself, to the land itself. You don't own the land. 
asked Rishakish the following question. The verse says, and for your house, in regards to the Bikur, this teaches us that a man has the ability to bring the first fruits of his wife, Vikare. And in fact, he says, he says the verse. So what do we see? We see despite the fact that what does he have in those fruits? All he has is the fruits themselves. He has rights to the fruits, but he doesn't own the land. The land still belongs to his wife. We're talking about certain fruits that she brought in, it's called Nechzei Muluk, that she brought into the marriage, and so he gets the rights to the fruits. But what happens? He doesn't actually own the land. Nevertheless, what happens? He it does have the ability to say the verse. So that shows that when you own the fruits, when you have the rights to the fruits, it's considered that you also own the land. So he responded and it says, Shani Hasam. Rishakur said, It's not a good proof, it's different over there, because the verse specifically says, Ula Beischa, that you can bring it for your home. And the home is always referenced to the wife. And therefore, since the verse explicitly and specifically said that, despite the fact, it's coming to teach us that despite the fact that usually if you own the fruits, you don't own the land, in this case, we consider it that you do, and therefore you can say the verse. There were those who said, that actually Rishakur was the one who asked the question on Rabbi Yechanan. Ula Beischa, the verse says, and you can bring it for your home, for your wife. So this teaches us that a person can bring the first fruits of his wife, and he can indeed say the verse. So Rishlakish says, only over there it's because the verse is that, but that we can deduce from there that in a regular case where he just has the fruits and he doesn't own the land, he would not be able to say it. So he says, Rabbi Yechanan says to him, it's not a good question because actually I learned out from there to all other places as well. I'll ask you a question. If a guy was coming along, he was walking along on the way, and he has the fruits of his wife in his hand, and he finds out that she died, that the, the, his wife died, so he does bring it, and he does indeed say the verse. Mesa in Mesa So this implies it's only because the wife died that he does bring it and he does say the verse. If he hadn't, if she hadn't died, then he wouldn't be able to say it. Why? Because all he has is the fruits and he doesn't have the actual land itself. So that would be a proof to Reish Lakish. Who Adin, so the Gemara says it's not a good proof, because that would be the same that even if she didn't die, he would also be able to say the verse, despite the fact that all he has is the fruits and he doesn't actually own the the ground itself. Nevertheless, we need it to teach you this. There's a special novelty in the case where she died. You might think to say, that we should make a gzera, a decree, because of the following statement of Rabbi Yisbechanina. He said, if you went and you harvested, and you sent them in the hands of a messenger, and the messenger died on the way, he's bringing the Bikurim, this messenger, and he dies on the way, maybe so even if the Baal, the, the person who actually owns the fruit, goes and he takes it from the hands of the dead Shliach, and he goes and he brings it to the base of Middash, to the temple, he brings it and he does not read the Pasuk, the verse says, you shall bring it, and you shall you shall take it, and you shall bring it. The one who takes it and brings it into the temple has to be the same person. So therefore, you might say that since we have that concept, that you can't have two different people bringing it. So maybe over here as well, people would make a mistake and see that in, in the first time, when he was bringing it, he was bringing it, it looks like he's bringing it in a certain sense as a messenger for the wife, because she still owns the ground, and he only owns the fruits. But then at the end, so it's a totally different status. It's like, now he owns the land as well, so it looks like two different two different things, and the lekicha and the hava, 
Torah, the, the original taking and the bringing into the temple are not by the same in the, or in the same status or the same type of, of messenger. Therefore, people will make a mistake about the other case. So you might think that in that case, that indeed he wouldn't be able to say the verse, Kamash Malan, that's what it's coming to teach us, that in fact, it's not a problem. And whether or not the woman had died or whether she's still alive, he does say the verse, according to Rabbi Yechanan, because since he owns the fruits, he has rights to the fruits, to consider that he has also has rights to the ground. We'll continue from here in the next daily daf.